0: All right, we are in our relationship series, and uh, in in this series we've been tackling different kinds of relationships, and of course today, fathers. We're talking about dads and what it means to be a dad, but we're also just talking about really, I think, manhood. And uh, so women don't check out on us because there's some key things here for you to hear as well. And uh, so, guys, we are looking at a passage of Scripture out of Proverbs 22, verse 28. Proverbs 22, verse 28, if you want to turn there. Tell you a little bit about my dad. My dad was kind. He was funny. He was giving. He was always approachable. He was willing to get in on everything, you know. He uh, was not uh, super athletic, you know, but he was willing to get in there. I can remember times that we would be playing volleyball. He would come over and play, you know, uh, with us, he would engage in basketball. I loved basketball. He would come out and, and uh, you know, and go try to dribble. You know, it was kind of funny watching my dad dribble. But he was very kind-hearted, very tender-hearted, very loving. And the one thing that my dad helped establish for us as a family was the boundaries, uh, spiritually speaking. And so, my dad. Uh, the wonderful thing about him was he did not just say no. Uh, like uh, in, in some cases, maybe you may have experienced. No, you can't do that or no. What? My dad would come back and take the time to explain why no. He would talk to us about these boundaries in life. So reading this passage of Scripture out of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28, it says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. It's important that we not only understand, my dad didn't want us just to understand uh, the rules, you know, the, the things that, he didn't want us to see rules out of scripture. He wanted us to see the principles behind them. Why would it be good for a young woman to, uh, to dress modestly as opposed to uh, popular culture? He wanted, uh, he wanted uh, his daughter to understand that the importance behind that has to do with with a a principle that's in place about God's design. How God designed men to visually uh, be attracted to women first. And so it's important that we get them to look at our eyes (laughs) and we get them to look at our uh, talents and abilities and things. And so he wanted my sister to know that for men. For us as young men, my dad, uh, he thought it was important to teach us the rules of, of being uh, civil and, uh, around uh, others and to be uh, tender towards women and, and young ladies and, and to, to set appropriate boundaries. My dad wanted us to understand not only those were the rules, but there were principles behind those things. And when we violated those principles, we made ourselves untrustworthy and we lost respect among our community and with the young women that we may or may not have been interested in. He wanted, us to, he wanted me to understand the boundaries and not just a, a set of rules. He wanted me to, to uh, not try to accommodate to whatever society was doing, but to understand the principles of Scripture were to be lived out regardless of what popular uh, culture was preaching and teaching. That the principles that God had laid down were not just rules for a season, but they were principles for a lifetime, and He wanted us to live by them. Biblical boundaries are permanent. My dad wanted us to understand that. They are enduring. They are unchangeable. They are principles that stand the test of time and culture. And there is no argument that can destabilize the principles of God or call into question the boundaries that God has set. In Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 24, we read this regarding the boundaries and principles that God has set. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations, and that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. It's part of our fallen nature in sin that causes us to call into question boundaries that we experience, wherever there's a fence or a rock wall or a boundary, we call those things into question. And we can look back as far as the book of beginnings in in Genesis that it was very natural for man from the very beginning. The serpent just made a suggestion that maybe you won't die if you eat of this tree. And that's all it took for man just to push the boundaries down and reach up and grab the fruit from the forbidden tree, right? Right? It was, he didn't have to shove them. He didn't have to spend a lot of time uh, talking about the philosophical arguments of it and, and, and walking through why this might be work and might be in the best interest of your life. But all he had to do was merely begin to suggest that maybe God is withholding something from us. Maybe there's something, maybe there's greener pastures on the other side of this fence. Maybe there's something better. All he had to do was make the slightest suggestion. And in our sinful nature, it's natural for us to run and press against the boundary that is there. We struggle with boundaries. As a dad, I've seen this uh, at work in the lives of my kids. You know, we would tell them not to do something. And it was as if you had said, do that something. I mean, it was like they, they couldn't take their eyes off of it, you know? It was like they, would, they were fixated on doing it because we had said they couldn't do it, right? And, and they would try every angle. They would talk to mom. They would talk to dad. Now, I'm going to save you, um, you know, save them, <laughs> because the pastor's kids get used a lot for illustrations. So I'm going to save them the illustrations because, and here's why, because there are plenty of illustrations in my own life as I grew up as a kid. Uh, violating the boundaries that my parents had set. You know, if they had a curfew that, you know, they said, you got to be home by 11, then, you know, I started thinking about it at 11.15, right? I mean, we are in the nature of trying to violate boundaries. I missed curfew by two hours when I was 17. And I knew I was dead. And, and I was I was driving a little truck and... Uh, When I turned the block to where our house is, I killed the engine to coast in, right? And the lights, you know, just utter silence, you know, the unfortunate thing for me is uh, we have a gravel driveway, so, you know, the second unfortunate thing for me is my mom stays up late. I could see her bedroom light on, you know, and uh, stays up late until we get home. That was it. That was, that was her uh, sleeping pill, was all the kids are in bed, right? <laughs> and uh, so the light's on, so she knows I'm not home. <laughs> uh, the, the other unfortunate thing for me is we had the squeakiest front door in the history of mankind. I, after this time, I oiled that door like <laughs> crazy, man. It's, it was unbelievable. E- I'm opening this door. (laughs) It was like a trumpet sounding the arm. Alan is home. Alan is home. Please come and check on him. He got here late. And um, so you can imagine that I was in trouble. We have plenty of examples of that with our kids, but there are enough examples for me just to share my own stories. The importance of landmarks when we look back at biblical times was traced back to the time that God had set boundaries for the children of Israel as they entered into the promised land, and he said, "This is your land. This is what I have given to you." Landmarks uh, were all throughout um, the Old Testament, though, weren't they? Uh, many of you may remember the story of, of, of Jacob and his uh, soul journeying and traveling, and uh, he he laid up, uh, you know, uh, a an, an altar where he had a dream one night, where God had visited him, and and he had this dream, and and he be, and he saw something that God wanted to reveal to him, and he built an altar to remind himself. And so for many pilgrims from that point forward, who had heard the story. They'd passed by that, that stone-built altar, and they would remember that's where Jacob met with God, and God met with Jacob, and that's where something happened. And then, of course, you may remember when the children of Israel crossed over uh, the Red Sea, you know, uh, and they and they moved out of uh, Egyptian bondage, and, and they began to press towards the Promised Land, that they took each one of them, a tribe uh, of the 12 tribes, took a big stone, and they laid it down, and they made their own altar. there by the place where they exited the Red Sea. And, and that became for years a, a, a landmark or a monument that reminded people, there's where God delivered His children. And that's why we're free from slavery, is because what God did and, and it reminded them, all of these landmarks throughout the Old Testament uh, were laid out and they were meant to be saved and preserved. And so even now for you and I, we have landmarks, don't we? I mean, we'll drive, you know, back to... Arizona with the kids and and we drive by places and we'll say there's where God met with us there's where God provided our first home there's where God took care of us there's a person that that we met with that helped us and and counseled us and encouraged us and and there's where a family lived that that were just models for us when we first got married and your mom and I just looked up to them and we thought they were the greatest marriage that we'd ever seen and here's what they taught us laughter is important in your marriage and you Need to have laughter. And so we've tried to live that out and we've tried to understand that. And we will drive them around, show them here's where uh, the greatest Mexican food restaurant is in the world. God bless this place and he wants us to come eat here a lot. And so let's go <laughs> eat here. And we just all of these landmarks that you and I have in our life, right? And we're starting to get landmarks here in Texas now, 12 years uh, here. And so we're starting to have landmarks here. Our kids have all graduated from high school. A, um, the, Amanda and Zach graduated from Stony Point High School. So we go to football games sometimes. Or we'll drive by there and say, "Remember, we—you we, know—it's been so long. We used to drop you off here all the time. Remember, Zach, when I would drop you off here at high school, and I would go home, and you would call me on the phone, tell me you forgot your books, and I would drive back with your books, and then—and then I would get home, and you would call me again and say I forgot my lunch money, and I would drive back with your lunch money. And you, do you remember those things? And so we have landmarks. We have all of these things that help us to remember, and these are are so important to our lives, but. God warned us against removing those landmarks. In fact, in scripture, it was a crime that was punishable, depending on what the landmark was, by death. Since uh, since man sought not, he recognized that not only did uh, the moving of these landmarks represent defrauding man, but they, they undermined God's authority. If God said this was it, this is the boundary, then we're not only undermining what dad said, We're undermining what God said. And so in the the biblical times there were certain landmarks and boundaries that were set where God said those those are punishable by death if those landmarks are removed. And as time passed these landmarks took on uh, a secondary meaning as well. We read that passage, remove not the ancient landmarks of the fathers have set. These landmarks were also beginning to be associated spiritually as I said before when they looked back at the the altars that were set by uh, men and women who were faithful to God down through the ages, these became spiritual boundaries. Here's where David built an altar to God and he he sacrificed on this altar and asked God to to have favor again on Israel as Israel had turned away from God. Here's where where Elijah built on Mount Carmel, this this, this great altar, and and he asked the people to bring what was most precious to them and they were living in a drought and they, they brought water and they spilled it out over this altar. And then Elijah began to pray and called to God to consume that altar with fire in the face of the prophets of Baal, false prophets who were all around, who were not able to get Baal to answer their prayer, but God answered Elijah's prayer. Do you remember why this altar is here? Because God answers prayer. And God is the God of heaven. And God is the God that we serve and that we love. Just as God had set both spiritual and And physical boundaries for the people of that day, he has done so for us. And he has said, Don't touch the landmarks. Job, one of the oldest books of the Bible, talks about the boundaries. And in Job chapter 24, verse 2, there are those who move boundary stones. And this, this is a whole book and sermon in itself, this passage. There are those who move boundary stones, they pasture flocks they have stolen. There are those who move boundary stones to take in cattle and sheep and, and say they belong to them. Here's where the boundary is, and they're on my side of the fence, and so they belong to me. He was talking about you know, not, not only people who are uh, trying to steal from their neighbors and things like that, but this even has a spiritual application for us in terms of, of shepherding the flock of God. That there are those who are trying to steal the sheep. And take them by moving boundaries and saying, you know, that's not really the principle of God. This, this, it's just a rule. Just, just don't worry about that. You live like you want to live and just keep coming and giving an offering. And we'll just keep building and we'll keep doing great things. But there are those that God's called to stand up for the boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. And to say, this is the way of the Lord. Walk in it. Yeah. Even when culture doesn't like it. Even when it grates against you personally, and it has to do with things that are going on in your family and the lives of people that you love and care about. Stand firm in the boundaries that God has established. In every generation, there are those who seek to move and destroy biblical landmarks. They do it by redefining language. The serpent coming in saying, God didn't surely say, you will die if you eat of this tree. By subtly changing language and causing us to think of something from a different perspective that maybe this is permissible. Looking for the loopholes, we become the spiritual lawyers that try to contradict God's laws. We're looking for the loopholes. We're looking for the workarounds so that we can manipulate what God has said and make it say what we want it to say. There are those who press the boundaries by passing laws to legalize sinful behavior. God didn't legalize it, but we will legalize it. There are those who are pressing the boundaries by popularizing Christian persecution, trying to stamp out the voices that might speak against the pressing of boundaries and the pushing away of firm fences that God has built for our lives. And there are those who are punishing those who stand against wicked behavior. God commanded Amos, an Old Testament prophet, to stand in the gates of his city And to help the people identify what is good and what is evil. And God said, I want you to love the good. Call it out. I want you to hate the evil. Call it out. You establish justice in the gates. And it's what we do as fathers. We establish justice in our gates. We let them know that if you're going to pass through these doors, that this house belongs to God. Our lives belong to God. We were talking to some family members about one of the first homes that we had uh, built. And and I remember they were raising it up and and the the walls, you know, first of all, the the framing and everything. And we had gone out each time to see what was going on. We were so excited. First time we'd ever uh, purchased a, a brand new home on this lot and to see what it would look like. And Watching it begin to rise, so the foundation gets laid and, you know, the plumbing and the electrical ran and, uh, you know, at least the stubbed up for. And, and then we have, you know, uh, uh, the uh, framing of the walls go up and you see where the entry of the door is. Michelle and I went over at the entry of the door. We began to pray over this home that God had given to us. We took a pen and we wrote down out of Deuteronomy that passage of Scripture that, that speaks about what we are about, you know. that we are uh, to teach our children that this is the house of God, this is a house that belongs to God, that God would bless our going outs and our coming ins, that God would take care of us as a family and that we would, we would say that he, this is his home and this belongs to him. And it was a part of us beginning to establish justice in the gates, to let the kids know and to let everybody in our, in, in, in our family know and to let everybody who would ever come and visit us that we have established justice in these gates. Yes. There's a way we live here as a family. There's a way we function as a family. And, and as a father, it was up to me to stand guard and to stand watch over the doorways. It's one role that fathers you know, uh, are playing in, in, as Christian fathers to replace boundaries as well. The stones that have been dug up by society. To stand up against the cultural tide to proclaim to our children the biblical boundaries and the whys as my dad did for me. And dads, to tell your daughters that they are lovely, that they are precious, like crown jewels of Queen Elizabeth. To let them know that they are lovely, they are cherished, they are valued, we need to teach them to judge men by how much they love God. And allow God to shape their character not by how good looking the guy is, how popular the guy may be, or the fact that he actually paid attention to you. We need to teach our daughters that if a man can't love God, he can't really love you. As a pastor, I'm dealing with the aftermath of people who have decided to press that boundary. And all the time I have these people in my office, whose marriages are falling apart because God is not where he belongs. He's not in first place, in a heart and a life. It breaks my heart over the years, 35 plus years of ministry to see uh, women and mothers coming to church alone and their husbands staying home. Crushes me. I value so much The relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. We were in a little teaching uh, on uh, Friday on our team gathering. They asked me to do a short teaching and I showed a video uh, by Francis Chan that so communicates what I'm trying to say right here so beautifully. And what he did was he had this rope that just kind of went off into the distance and disappeared. It was an endless looking rope. And at the very end of this rope there was red tape about that long on the end of the rope. And this rope just went on endlessly. And he said, this rope represents your existence. This rope represents your existence. But this red tape represents your life on earth. And he said, I get so confused. people saying, I'm going to work really hard right here and here and here so that right here I can do what I want to do. What about this? What about this? It's up to us as fathers to say, this is your life on earth. But your existence is eternal. And what you do here is going to make a difference there. And I've experienced what Francis Chan was talking about. People call me crazy for living my life the way I'm living it. Man, you know, you're not enjoying it. It's all going to end. No, I'm like, you're crazy. It goes on forever. I want to do here what's going to impact here. I don't want to do here what's going to impact here. Because this is all going to end quickly. And fathers, we have to communicate that. And we have to live it out. We have to set the example. We have to put action behind what we're saying that we believe. If we believe there's an eternity and there's a God we're gonna meet, we have to live life like there's an eternity and a God we're gonna meet. Our children knew in our home growing up that the first thing that we were gonna do when there was an injury, or there was something that was happening, maybe even on our way to the hospital, was we were gonna pray. We're going to call out to God. And they would often be praying for one another. They never, never once in all their years growing up in our household ask us, Dad, do we have to go to church today? You know, they were getting ready while we were getting ready because they knew that we had set that as a goal, as a boundary, and they loved God's family and God's house. We taught them to. And they were excited As David said in Psalms, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. To obey, teach your daughters to put God first in their life, to trust Him, to send them a man after God's own heart. Teach your daughters to obey God's call on their lives. There's nothing that they cannot do without God's help. Never let them get caught up in the world identifying them, popular culture, identifying them and giving them a name. You're a cheerleader, you're an intellect, you're a computer scientist, you're whatever else. Tell them that those are titles that, th- that they may wear when they live in the world, but their identity comes from God. And it tells us in Revelation, I think it's going to be so amazing to see. And I, and I think we're all going to say, that fits, that works. When, when we get to, in, into God's presence, it says He's going to give us a new name. And I think that name is going to be what He always has identified us as. What, what, whatever that, that characteristic or nature of us is that He created in us. And we're going to look at it and we're going to go, wow, that fits. Like some of you moms, when you were here, you got the necklaces. And it was almost like God's design, you know, we had different titles on them. Some of them said courage. Some of them said, you know, um, love. Some of them, I don't know, what was brave. this? Brave, brave, brave. Brave. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was barking for a second. <laughs> I was like, no, brave. <laughs> and you pick those up and you went back and you go, wow, this fits. It's like as if God had just made you select the right bag that had the right one in it. Some of you dads are going to go, chocolate, wow, God loves me. <laughs> <laughs> or you're going to go, lemon, oh man, that's amazing. Love it. By God's design. Recently, Michelle and I, um, we went to uh, Zach's graduation, and I had a moment there with, with Zach. And, and dads, we gotta, we got to say this. Uh, we have to say this to our sons. We were setting, I think Michelle had gone across the street to do something, and we were, we were sitting there together. And I looked at him and I said, Zach, I'm, I'm very, very proud of you. You have what it takes to make it in the world. I'm not just proud of you for this accomplishment. I'm proud of you for the life accomplishment. I couldn't have asked for a better son. You have what it takes to make it in this world. And he sat across from me and kind of bowed his head for a minute and paused and looked back up and he goes, Thank you, Dad. That means everything. Everything to me. How many of us dads, our sons are waiting for us to say, you have what it takes. We've been holding out because our dads held out and they thought it was going to make us tough and better. But they just need to hear, you have what it takes to make it. And part of what it takes to make it is you're going to fall down and fail. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to to bruise your knees. You're going to to go through some difficult times. But ultimately, you have what it takes to make it. God put it in you. And if you'll look to Him, He'll bring you through every trial, every difficulty, every challenge. You have what it takes to make it. We need to teach our sons. Three things, Dad. We need to teach our sons how to think critically. How to think critically. Not to think emotionally or with our feelings or um, to, to, to think uh, kind of like uh, with a fix-it mentality. We need to think critically. And we need to teach them to love, to learn, to think critically as they examine the world's arguments and the things that are going on. We need to teach them how to love authentically. Michelle and I tried to set the example for authentic love. We didn't hide or skirt over when we made mistakes. We came to our kids and asked for forgiveness. And when we fought, we also showed them how to make up. How to be transparent. How to say the things that they're going to need to say to their spouse. How to walk up to my wife and say, I was absolutely wrong. I have no excuse for the things that I said to you. I'm asking you to forgive me as I have asked God to forgive me. And I wanted them to be witnesses in the room. And she did too when she came and talked to me. Because one day they're going to have those conversations. They're living in that day now. They're all out of the nest. They're all married. They're living in that day now where they will have those situations and they need to know how to go to their spouse and ask for forgiveness. How to love authentically and real. And finally, dad, we need to teach our sons how to grow continuously. We've all met men, uh, we've met men and, and had them in our lives who stopped growing somewhere somewhere they just stopped could have been they graduated high school and that was the end of it i've never picked up a book since i don't need to read books and you know i'm talking you're hearing a voice right now aren't you (laughs) and and it's pitiful it's pitiful we we have to teach men young men that we are on a lifetime educational growth plan spiritually intellectually we are growing every day. We're getting more and more information to erase ignorance and, and to become more uh, intelligent by uh, in, in our responses, but also become spiritually more mature. That's right. yeah. You didn't finish growing at some point in your life. If you are not pursuing with all of your heart, your might and your strength right now to continue to grow, I want to encourage you to do it. If you have to sign up for Uh, a class at at Austin Community College or whatever. Keep growing, keep expanding. For those of you who are married, get a book and read it on marriage. You know, learn how to communicate better, how to love better, how to be more creative. Come to, to opportunities like this where you have someone that can teach and train and encourage you. Won't always be me, sometimes there are other people who are sharing, But pursue conferences and seminars and places where you will be stretched to grow and to become all God's called you to be. Set the example and then tell your sons, this is a way of life. Don't ever think you're done. There are a lot of people, my dad never saw um, the uh, cellular phone era. He died before all of that happened. But there there, there are a lot of people that just stopped learning. And so... um, jobs and careers in for them. They have to take lesser jobs, lesser positions, because technology keeps advancing, keeps moving on, keeps, uh, you know, and, and we need to be on the cutting edge of what, whatever's going on. We need to be learning, learning and growing and developing. My dad really never got to see, you know, a, a full laptop, you know, uh, an, an Apple, uh, you know, computer or something like that can imagine if he had decided that that would be the end. I love, what I loved about my dad was he was always pressing the cutting edge of, of learning and trying to grow and learn more. He was a reader, he loved to read. He had a, a ninth grade education, but when you talked to him you thought he had graduated uh, university because he was a reader. He read and he poured into books and he knew uh, a lot uh, of information because he was constantly just absorbing and reading and learning and growing. we got to tell our sons growth is continually. I want to invite Elizabeth if she would come to the keyboard. Uh, We'll all be accountable before God for the landmarks that we desecrate, for the boundaries that we violate. Job chapter 38 is where begins the questioning of Job. Job wanted a, a, a uh, the whole book of Job is about God. He wants to meet with God and, and pass on his wisdom. <laughs> he's wants in a meeting with God. Every man, every woman wants a meeting with God. I just, I just want to know he's real. I want to meet with him. I want to talk to him. I want to have him talk back to me. And so God you know, gave Job this meeting uh, at the end of the book, but it didn't happen the way Job hoped it might. And so God was just reminding him a few things about the difference between God and Job. And here's one of the things that he said in Job chapter 38, beginning at verse 8. Job, who shut up the sea behind doors? When it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. God set the boundaries. And, Dad, we are just the communicators of the boundaries that God set. It's up to us to stand in the gates of the cities and stand in the gates of our home and proclaim this is the boundaries that God has set. Whether or not you like it is irrelevant. This is what God set. And it's the best way for mankind to move forward. And for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to stand in this boundary. Generations have suffered because they have attempted to move the boundaries that God has set. Generational things that keep going on and on and on. We're seeing in our world uh, the pressing of boundaries at every angle, every level. And it's, it never amounts to anything productive. It's destructive and destroying mankind. It's time for men to rise up and to say, this is the boundaries that God has set. And invite the worship team to come. And then I want to invite you to stand with me. Restoring the boundaries that generations have pushed back. It seems like a... An impossible job. I, I can recall the story and and you may have heard it too of a great storm that came to a particular shore one of the the shores in America and and uh, in the morning when people were walking the shore to see the damage that had been done one of the things that happened was there were a starfish and numerous you know hundreds thousands all over um you know, the uh, the shoreline there, uh, away from the water, hopelessly dying and bleaching in the sun. And the story goes that there was a, a boy that saw them and he's picking them up as fast as he can and tossing them back to the ocean. And the Gentleman that's walking his dog is passing by and he stops the little boy. He says, son, that's a hopeless task. It's really not gonna make any difference in the long run. This little boy is holding one starfish in his hand and he says, but it'll make a difference to this one. That's why we do it, guys. Because it's going to make a difference for this one. This one might be the one in our home. It might be the one that we love that's nearby. It might be a neighbor, a friend, co-worker. It's going to make a difference for this one. And that's why we work to reestablish the boundaries that God has because it's going to make a difference for this one. As they lead us in worship, I want to invite you To make a new commitment to God, that the boundaries that he's established, we're going to stand up for. And we're going to lead the way to stand in the doorway and say, this is the way to live. This is what God has called us to do, and we're going to walk in it.